message today. All right, it's such a great thing today. I really have been looking forward to it. This morning, we had an incredible time telling stories together. And uh, we, we have um, one of my just good friends who came here to help lead our church. Uh, really wonderful to have him here, Pastor Rob Stinnett. He's an incredible guy. He's got an, a keen intellect. He is a creative soul. He is so, uh, his heart is so for the broken. And so I love it. I love everything about him. He's going to share the scriptures with us, and then we're going to hear some stories. So I want you to give a huge One Chapel welcome to Pastor Rob Stinnett. Come on. Awesome. Thank you. Good morning, One Chapel. Good morning. It's good to be here. Uh, I want to tell you real quick about a story this last January. I was in El Salvador, and we were doing missions work. We were helping out uh, with Compassion International. It was incredible to see what they did. And then our guide said, oh, we're going to take you to do something fun real quick. And so I was like, okay, fun. Great. I like fun. So they took us and hiked up this kind of mountain thing. And then we go, and we stand up over this cliff. And I'm looking over the cliff, and there's a zip line that goes all the way across it. It's probably half mile long, and I can't even see where it ends. There's just like a thicket for trees. And so they're like, okay, all you do here is you click it in, and you'll zip down that, and you'll go to safety. And I was like, wow, I I'm not scared of heights necessarily, but I'm scaring off falling 500-foot cliffs into heights. And so I was looking at that like, I don't know if I can do this. So different ones of our team were getting belayed, getting ready to go. I was getting all nervous and sweaty, and I was like, okay, I need someone to distract me, just talk about something different. So one of the guys from our team was there, and I was like, so uh, tell me about your city, what's going on there? And he started telling me, he was a fellow filmmaker, I'm a filmmaker, author, we've had conversation about that, and he's like, you know, I want to tell you about something we're doing called Arc Stories. And I was like, yeah, what's that? And he's like, in Birmingham, Alabama, I started this thing where we get together, and it was just at a coffee shop, and I just had people come and tell stories of what was happening in their life. And at first, it was just in a coffee shop, and people would come and just kind of get up, tell a story, and then it started becoming a thing. And so more and more people, we'd do it every month, and more and more people started coming and started showing up. And soon, it was like the coffee shop was packed out, we had to go to a performing arts center, and they would go, and they were at a performing arts center, and they paid $10, and all you had to do is... you. People would wait outside two hours ahead of time. It'd be totally sold out, and people would come, and all it was was just a spotlight. Someone get up there and tell their stories. And he's like, Rob, it has taken off. It is absolutely incredible. And I was like, wow, really? He's like, yeah, it's a thing. And so I found out there's even something here in Austin called Backyard Storytellers where people come and they tell their stories. Different people come and just share what's going on with them. And I thought, we should be doing this as a church. Because not only do we have stories, we have the best story of what's happened in our life. And so I thought, man, there's so many Sundays where I walk by and I shake your hand and I say, how are you doing? And we talk about the weather and then you go the other direction, I go the other direction, and I don't know what's happened in your life. And I think it's incredible. We just finished this series called We Believe, and it's cool that we believe as a church. But there's also something personal when we talk about we believe, which is I believe. So I talked to the staff and I said, I think we need to do a Storyteller Sunday here at the church. And I sent out an email and just said, hey, I want to know if there's a story going on in your life. Sent that out a couple of weeks ago and the response was overwhelming. People were sending page after page after page of what happened in their life, of what God had done. And so we're going to tell those stories. But this is a little bit different than ARC stories or Backyard Storyteller because we do this as a church. We're actually commanded by Scripture to do this. 
There's a couple of big ideas I want you to understand before we go into the stories today, which is this. When something happens in our lives, the scriptures encourage us to tell others about it. This is in uh, the Old Testament and New Testament. Psalm 71 verse 15 explains it like this. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come. I'll remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. Oh God, from my mouth you have taught me. I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Something happened and the author says, I still proclaim what happens there. And the New Testament talks about it like this. Luke 8.39 says this, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The he that is talking about in this verse is a demon-possessed man who Jesus went and he healed. And so after Jesus went and he healed him, what the demon-possessed man is, Jesus, I want to come with you. I want to follow you. I want to join the team. And Jesus said, no, two reasons. One, you're weird. All right, that's not Jesus. That was me. That's extra biblical. (laughs) But Jesus said, no, the reason why is because, the second reason why is because you need to go and you need to tell others. People will know who you were before and they will see that there's a change in who you are now. And as they see that change, don't let that just happen. You need to proclaim and tell about it. And that's exactly what this man did. So there are three primary reasons that I think it's good for us to tell our stories. Three reasons that scripture talks about. One is our stories let us reflect on what God has done in our lives. John 9 tells the story of a blind man who is there, Jesus goes, he heals the blind man, an incredible miracle. But what's interesting about this story is after he was healed, the Pharisees started to say, who is this that did this? So they went and they asked the parents, they said, do you know who did this? This is a sinner. This is a blasphemer who healed your son. This is not a good man. And then they went, the Pharisees went, and they cornered the boy and they said, do you know who did this to you? He was a sinner. And so he was there, and this this young man that the scripture talks about says this very famous verse. He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. And so it's a simple idea. It's like you can try to tell me what happened. You can try to explain it, but you don't know my story. You don't know what God did in me. I was blind, and now I can see, and I want to follow who did that. And so when we tell about our stories, it lets us reflect. As people were sending me emails and writing out their story, and I was reading through them, and we were reading through them as a staff, it was so fascinating as people were saying, man, just telling my story kind of helped me understand what God did in me. It solidified in it when I told it out loud. The next reason is this. Number two, our stories encourage others. See, a lot of time we think a story happened and we think it's just for ourselves. But that's not the reality. The reality is there are people here this morning as we're going to have storytellers and what's going on and what happened in their lives may mirror what's happening in your life. There will be stories of layoffs, stories of severe depression, stories of sickness. And as we hear these stories, we may be at the beginning of this story saying, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. But when other people tell us their story, it gives us strength. It encourages us. Second Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 3, talks about it like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble. See, he comforts us so that we can comfort others. 
with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. It's not like these good stories happen and it just ends there. The story happens and we go and we tell others about it and we say, listen, I know where you are today. I know what you're facing. I was there too, but let me tell you about what God did in my life. And as we tell that, it encourages others. Reason number three is this. Our stories help us look for God's work. Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. I think uh, the way that with the third point of looking for God's work, the best way I can explain it is, um, so I had two kids and then all of a sudden we got pregnant. When I say we, it was mostly Sarah. <laughs> we got pregnant and we said, we've got to change something here. We need a bigger car. So we went and Sarah said, we really need a minivan. And I was like, no, no, no. I don't want to do it. I don't, I'm the cool guy. I don't want to be the guy. I know you're saying you're not that cool, but I was cool. <laughs> Once upon a time, I was, I promise. <laughs> And, and she said, no, we need to get a minivan. And I was like, oh, man. And so we went and we started shopping for minivans. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to get a minivan, I at least want it to be unique. I at least want it to have some personality. So we went looking at minivans, and I found this cool kind of sky blue minivan. And I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool color. I haven't seen that before. So we went, felt good about it. It had the automatic doors. And I'm telling you, if you have more than two kids or even any kids, you should get a minivan. It will change your life. It's incredible. So we got a minivan, drove off the lot. I felt great about it. And then I went, I drove in. I remember driving up to that first stoplight and there was a light blue minivan to my right and a light blue minivan to my left. <laughs> and I was like, it's like a light blue minivan apocalypse. They're everywhere. <laughs> but what's weird is I had never noticed them before. I had never seen them before. But when I got that light blue minivan, it was all I could see. I remember driving up to my kid's school, and it was just a carpool line of nothing but light blue minivans. <laughs> and I thought, I'm a lemming. What's happening here? I was so depressed about it. But there's actually a name for this phenomenon, and it's called the Batter-Meinhof Phenomenon. <laughs> And it's something, what this phenomenon talks about is when you turn your brain, tune your brain to look for something, you can start seeing it everywhere. And I think what's interesting about stories, what's interesting about God's stories, was when we tune our brain to start looking for that and look at not only what happened in our lives, but in the lives of everyone in this room and the lives going on around Austin, we start to see God's story everywhere. See, for me, what's interesting is when I ask for testimonies, or when I ask for stories, people said, oh, you mean testimonies. Because I think we've gotten to a bad habit as Christians where we think, my testimony is my story. That's the only story that I have. And the reality is, it's an incredible story, but it's not our only story. Sarah and I were married. We were married in 2003. It was the best day of my life. It was an incredible story. But if that was the last good story I had with Sarah, that I wouldn't have a healthy marriage today. And if, you're, if your story when you found Jesus is the last good story that you have, I don't know if your walk is as healthy as it should be because you're not looking for other stories. You're not praying the prayers that maybe you used to pray. You're not stepping out and helping others the way that maybe you know that you should. So we need to find ways to not only have that one story, that great story, but other stories along the way. 
We hear this story often, the way that we look at this, we think about Paul. Paul had this incredible story. The book of Acts talks about it, and we see ourselves a lot of times as Paul. Paul went, and he was a complete sinner, and then he went, he had a miraculous moment. Jesus made him blind and said, you need to change everything. He went and he was healed. And from that point forward, Paul started to do incredible things. And I think a lot of times when we look at our faith, we're like, oh, it should be like Paul. One amazing thing happens and then I'm fixed and I'm okay and things are smooth sailing from there. And maybe that is your story. For me, my story is probably a lot more like Peter. Peter went and he threw down his nets and decided to follow Jesus, but things were not smooth sailing from there for Peter. Peter went and he stepped out in a boat. There's a story we hear about. He steps out in the boat and he's there and he has great faith, but as soon as those waves come, Peter starts to sink and Jesus rescues him. Peter went, he was following Jesus strong, but then when everything fell away, Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three different times. And so was that the end of Peter's story? No, we see in Acts where Peter goes and he continues to preach. He, can, he, had, he had speed bumps along the way, but eventually he got it and God did something incredible. And I say that because for some of you, you may feel distant. You may feel like, man, why am I not more like Paul where it was that thing and, I was, and I'm running and I'm going now. But the reality is there may be difficulties along the way and don't turn away, don't lose faith, don't lose heart in the midst of those difficulties. So we're going to hear some stories this morning. And our storytellers, this is not, you know, five-point deep theology. This is personal experience. So I want you to welcome these storytellers. I want you to laugh with them. I want you to lean in and listen and encourage them because what they're doing is not easy. It's very brave, but it's also really, really important. So can you do that one, Chapel? Can you be encouraging this morning? All right. So... Would you please welcome our first storyteller of the morning, E.C. Cunningham. E.C., come on up here. Thank you, Ron. Good morning or afternoon. <laughs> um, you know, I, I sit in church a lot of times, and I feel like it's a mystery. Um, I feel like a mystery, but that's probably me just focusing on me, um, because church is what I used to do. Um, but it all kind of changed on October 24th. It was a Thursday. I went into a meeting with my pastor. I uh, had been at the church, a part of the church, for 16 years. And several people in the room. And when I walked in, I sat down. And my pastor was on his way out of his office coming into the, the room um, to have the meeting. Uh, but he wasn't just my pastor. He was also my boss. And he, as he walked in the room, he said to me, um, so this meeting is going to be 30 minutes, and um, what I need you to do is in these 30 minutes, I need you to convince me to keep you on the staff. And I'm saying, okay. And he says, I've already made up my mind, but what I need you to do is convince me in these 30 minutes why I should keep you. It wasn't anything bad I did. Uh, it's just church needed, needed to make a change. And as we talked about it, when it became less about my job and more about me, <laughs> I lost the fight. I, I, I was fired. Um, 16 years at the church, 15 years on staff. Um, you can imagine how that felt. It was personal. Uh, a little angry. 
And what was so amazing is I was in conversation with a pastor here in Austin. I had talked to him the day before. A friend of mine referred me to three churches and said, hey, you know, there's some people looking for um, staff members, and I think you'd be a great one. Oh, by the way, I put your name in for one. And I said, okay, thanks. And it was a pastor here in, in Austin. We had a conversation. I texted him. I remember texting him the next day. And it's like, you'll never guess what happened to me. And he's like, I could hear him texting like, what, what happened? And he calls me and it's like, what happened? Fast forward, January 11, 2014, I walk off the plane, um, going down the escalator here in Austin, see the big welcome to Austin sign, and I'm here. I'm a campus pastor of a church, local church here in town. Don't want to share the name, but, you know, things were going great. I was getting in the groove with it, is doing what God's called me. This is my profession. This is what I love to do. And I am in a meeting nine months later, walking the meeting. Um, the finance pastor's there. I had this proposal for the community life of the church. And uh, finance pastor's there. And I'm like, yes, you're the right person because I need to talk to you because I need the money to do what we need to do. I walk in. The pastor closes the door, sits down, and says, EC is not working. And I'm sitting there thinking, what's not working? I haven't said anything yet. And he says to me, yeah, I don't know if you've ever been broken up with a relationship, and they say to you, it's not you, it's me. His next words were, it's not you, it's us. We need to make a change, and it's not working. <sighs> fired again. 11 months, within 11 months, I'm fired from two churches. This is my profession. This is my life. I'm angry, and I remember... About a month, a couple weeks later, I'm in the bathroom of the first apartment that I was evicted from because I went from great money to no money. <laughs> and I'm standing in the bathroom, and I'm like, God, these people did all this to me, and you, 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 you know what they did, and, you know, I blocked the pastor on Facebook, and, you know, I'm just mad at them, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going off, and then I said, and you brought me here, and it hit me. I wasn't mad at those guys. I was mad at God. And it, it, it was, I went through this series of bitterness. And I wish I could tell you it's all hunky-dory, but um, over a period of time, talking to Pastor Ross and some others, God has in the last two years took me through the mountains and the roller coaster. And uh, I stand here today, what God reminded me of, and actually a couple of weeks I thought about this. He reminded me when the first church fired me, he said, go home. Read Psalm 91 and 2, and it just kept ringing in my ear. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. And you all, it was no longer about professional Christianity anymore. It was, it was about a faith walk. And one chapel has been a part of that faith walk, and I just want to let you know I'm so glad to be where I am now. It's been some hills and valleys, but uh, God is faithful. I want you to welcome him. He's a friend of mine. Would you please welcome Jim Miles? Hi, everyone. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, what a great idea. Stories. I love stories. Um, Rob, uh, really fantastic idea here. Pastor Ross, you should make him the creative director or something. It's like, boom. It's incredible. Um, I have a story for you today, and it's a little unorthodox because it happened a long, long time ago, but it is a story without question that had a 
tremendous spiritual impact on my life. It happened when I was eight years old. So here goes. When I was eight years old, I thought I was the greatest fisherman in the world, without question. I mean, I loved to fish, and on any given summer afternoon, that's where you'd find me. I'd be at Sunny Brook Pond. I lived in a, a small town in Minnesota, and I'd have my tackle box, and I'd have my, my gear, and all my lures would be laid out, and I had my fishing pole and, and, and my cheese sandwich on Wonder Bread. I don't know why, but that, that was part of the ritual. And, and I'd sit there, and, you know, and I would cast, and I would wait, and I would hope. And for me, this was pretty close to heaven. And um, I'll tell you, I remember one afternoon above all the others. And it's not because of what I caught that afternoon, but it's because of what I lost. That afternoon, I lost my very favorite fishing lure. Now, you have to understand, this lure was called the Daredevil. It was arguably the greatest fishing lure ever created by men. It was incredible. Have you ever had this in your life where you put um, irrational value on an object? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like a car or a job or a pair of shoes or a spouse. <laughs> Kidding, baby. I love you. <laughs> well, this was, my <laughs> this was my irrational object. I mean... The daredevil was awesome because it was built like a spoon. It was shiny on one side, and when you pull it through the water, it would spin. You know what I mean? And then it would catch, it would catch the eye of a fish, and bam, you know, a, a smallmouth bass or a trout would hit on it. And man, for eight-year-old boy, catching, if I see heads nodding in here right now, like I have brothers in here and sisters who get it. <laughs> but on this afternoon, this lure that was shiny and green and wonderful was also gone. I couldn't find it. So here I am walking around this field of green, searching for this, for this fishing lure. And I'm telling you, anxiety grew in my heart. Tears welled in my eyes. My heart is pounding out of my chest. I was not prone to anxiety attacks, but I was in a full-fledged breakdown. And it was in that moment, this, it was in that moment, I remember saying my very first prayer out loud. God, find my fishing lure. <laughs> and with tears in my eyes, I'm stumbling around, and I look down, and one chapel, there it was. And I'm telling you, the feeling I had right there, it, it, was, it was really amazing. It wasn't like, woo, total relief. It was more like this. <sighs> Dude. I felt the presence of God. Now, it's easy to look past this moment and be like, yeah, coincidence, luck, eight-year-old boy, cute story. No, 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 no. I knew nothing of theology. We didn't pray much in my house, but I knew I was in the presence of God by that pond. I felt almost a physical weight. I understand now when people say a peace that surpasses understanding, I felt it. I was in the midst of God. A simple prayer from an eight-year-old boy. Now, how do I know it was real? There's further proof. The story never went away. Truth is, it was 20 more years before I received Jesus as my Savior after that date. 20 years. But oftentimes, that story would bump around in my head. I even told it to other people. And there were times in that 20 years when I once again had my heart pounding out of my chest and tears welling in my eyes. 
in a tight spot, fear gripping my heart, certain that I would never get out of this particular problem. And sometimes in that moment, God would send me the most amazing picture of a green daredevil. And suddenly I'm eight years old, standing in a field of green, holding a fishing lure. And I was reminded that my God meets me where I am. That he is great and he answers prayer. I'm telling you, there's a story in scripture I was just looking at. It's in Joshua. And Joshua's about ready to take the Israelites into the chosen land. But before he can go conquer, you know, they've been 40 years. Before he can conquer all the bad guys, God says, before you do that, take 12 stones and build me this this memorial. And the reason I want you to do that is that when future generations look back on this, they'll say, what is that? And you'll say, my God is great, and he did this. They were memorial stones. Now, one chapel, I don't know what your story is, but I can tell you this. A story goes from good to life-changing when it's your story. We've all got one. Everyone in this room has their God story. You just need to take it out, dust it off, remember, write it down, because it's that story that will change a life. It's that story you need to be prepared to share. I don't know when it's going to happen in your life, but I know it will. So be ready. I know for me, I have a five-year-old boy, and one day he's going to look into my eyes, and he's going to say, Daddy, is God real? And I'm going to look into his eyes, and I'm going to tell him a story, and the first line goes like this. Son, when I was eight years old, I thought I was the greatest fisherman in the world. Thanks for listening. I'm Jim. Fantastic. All right. Would you please welcome our next storyteller, Kay Silver. I have notes. Sorry. So I don't tell my story typically, but last month on April 26th, I had someone that I went to school with at Christ for the Nations. I haven't seen him in 23 years. We've communicated maybe twice in that time. I got an email from him and he said, Kay, I was praying and the Lord told me to tell you he wants you to tell your story and you're going to have to gather your courage, but lives will be touched if you do. And I read it, and I said, God, that sounds terrible. That is just, in my humble opinion, it's not a good idea. Um, but if you want me to, I will submit to you, because I've learned how to submit to God's voice finally. But you're going to have to make it really clear. I'm going to have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt you want me to do this. April 26th. April 29th, we all got an email from one chapel saying, you want to tell your story? Lord, so I am honored to be submitted to God and to share my story. And if anything I say today resonates with you and touches you, I'm here because of you. So receive it. I uh, was in a childhood that was kind of marked by abandonment and addiction and other damaging behaviors from the really important adults in my life. We had a really crazy life. I don't even remember much about my first 10 years. I've blocked it. I really mainly just remember the emotions that I carried in my heart. I, I felt abandoned. I felt embarrassed and ashamed. I felt unloved. And I felt basically that I wasn't worthy or um, worth much. So 
my parents had a really dramatic salvation experience when I was 11, and their lives did a 180, total flip-flop. And my sister and I watched them for a while and then realized that Jesus, this Jesus thing was real, and we came to the Lord. But instead of creating a cohesive, happy, sonic family or nuclear family that I had heard about from others, my parents were so caught up in their new walk with the Lord, and also they were called to a pretty brown breaking groundbreaking evangelistic ministry so their focus was on that and my sister and I were basically again left to fend for ourselves and so again we were abandoned but it was for God how do you argue with that so my little 11 year old heart decided that the moral of the story was that God was more invested in what he was doing for others and what he was going to do through them and that I just shouldn't really expect or ask for too much from him so I think most preachers' kids can say that under the best of circumstances, it's not an easy life. Our needs often get put in the back seat for the needs of others. And with my history of emotional abandonment, this was just exacerbated. So as a young teenager, I set out to go just find some love and acceptance and security all on my own. And you know how well that works. So for the next few decades, I put my trust in trying to find security in men. I tried to soothe my hurt heart with drugs. And I just got caught up in a cycle of chase the thing I thought would fill that need. It would fail. I would go running to the Lord for uh, comfort because I did have a walk with Jesus. I did. I looked like the black sheep of the family, but I was just really such a lost sheep. I didn't know my shepherd well enough to follow that voice all the time. So, you know how on a shampoo label or shampoo instructions, it says lather, rinse, repeat? That was the story of my life. That was how I just cycled through all that stuff. I just kind of get soothed from Jesus, and I'd run back and try it all over again and just create the same mess. So my life changed forever in 2006. I did something that threatened to bring everything I knew and loved down around me and I'd gone to the Lord so many times after failing I'd go to him in shame and he'd fix me he'd comfort me but this time I felt like I'd done too much wrong for too long and I just had too much shame to go to the Lord and um, let's see I I was literally almost frozen in place paralyzed by the fear of what I'd done and that I'd brought my entire life down around me and there was no hope left for me whatsoever and it was in that moment that I heard in my spirit well like my head my heart was telling me okay you need to pray and my head was telling me girlfriend you better run just run you just get away just go hide and I was just paralyzed and thinking what do I do what do I do and in my spirit I heard the voice of the Lord and it was as clear as day. And he said, Kay, this is not you. You are mine. And it just set me free. It broke open my spirit. And I realized that the only constant in my whole life had been Jesus. He was the only one that was ever there for me from day one. I tried to make other things make me happy. And it would always be Jesus that would be like, I'm here. Are you ready? 
there were a few times in my life that I had submitted completely to Jesus' will, and I'd done only what he wanted me to do, not what I thought I should do. And I realized those were the only times in my life that I walked in joy and fulfillment. So I'm here to encourage you, whatever the lather, rinse, repeat cycle of your life looks like, that you can't quite stop, stop it. Give those needs to Jesus. Give them to him. He's the only one that can truly fix it. Thank you. Thank you, Kay. All right, one chapel, would you please welcome our next storyteller, Steve Williams. Steve, come on up here. <laughs> Good afternoon. My name is Steve Williams. I want to tell you a story I shared with my kids recently when I had to give them some bad news, that my father, his cancer had come back. And I wanted to tell them that in the context of some hope. So I told them about something that happened a few years ago. Um, I work for a company called National Driver Training. In addition to many other things, I'm a driving instructor. Anyone ever want to be a driving instructor? <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. Trust me. So um, anyway, I'm pretty good at it. Uh, my students think I'm good at it. The parents give me good feedback. I was pretty proud of what a good driving instructor I was. And I, I had the use of a company car. Well, one Saturday morning, February 14th, 2009, I was driving my then five-year-old son, Nathaniel, to a birthday party. And we're on a fairly busy road, going about 45, 50 miles per hour, and we're talking. And I got a little distracted. And the next thing I know, I heard a car honk. And I looked up, and there's a red light. And the intersection's too close for me to stop, or stop safely. So I, I applied the brakes as much as I could, and I decided to make a right turn to minimize whatever collision that I had, not have a head-on collision. But I was coming in too fast, and I swung too wide. And I hit an SUV waiting to turn in the left turn lane. If you've ever been in a car wreck, it's pretty jarring. It took me a second to realize what had happened, even though I, I knew what was going on. And the first thing I remember is a bad smell. It, it wasn't Nathaniel. <laughs> it was the chemical in the airbag, when the airbag deploys. And so I realized I was in a car wreck. I, it, life kind of came crashing in. I checked on my son. Are you okay? He had a little red mark under his eye. But otherwise, he was fine. He was crying. He was freaked out, of course. But he was fine. I said, stay in the car, I've got to go check on this other person. And I got out of the car and I ran to the SUV and I knocked on the window and I asked the lady, are you okay? And she couldn't say anything, she was in panic. She made a whimpering sound. And I tried to get the door open, got to get the door open and help her. And the door was stuck, I couldn't get it open, it wasn't moving. I called 911, I, I hit somebody, I'm in a driving school car, I'm a driving instructor, but I hit somebody, send the police, send the ambulance, and they did. And the police took care of me, and the ambulance took care of her. Her name was Anne, I found out from the police officer. They took her to a nearby hospital, and then when my beautiful wife came, <sighs> sorry, came and got my son and I, we went to the hospital, and I asked if I could see Anne and tell her how sorry I am for putting her in the hospital. And she didn't want to see me. So we left, and, and I would try to find out what happened to her when I talked to the insurance investigators. I'd try to see if she was okay, but nobody would tell me anything. It was none of my business. Four years went by, and I got a Facebook message. I wasn't sure if you're the one, but I, I saw your company name on your profile picture, and now I know. My name is Anne, and I wanted to thank you and tell you I'm sorry uh, that I never let you come in and see me at the hospital. She wanted to thank me 
I put her in the hospital. She wanted to thank me. I said, you don't owe me an apology, and there's certainly nothing to thank me about. I'm so sorry. I've lived with grief and shame for four, four years. I was proud to be a driving instructor, and now I was humbled. And Anne said, no, you don't know. You don't need to be ashamed. She said, what you don't know is that when you hit me, you aggravated two brain tumors that I didn't know I had. And when you sent me to the hospital, you put me in a position for the doctors to find them. And it saved her life. And four years later, she was cancer-free. God took my biggest personal and professional failure. He took my biggest mistake in my entire life. And he saved a lady's life with it. And I'm humbled and I'm awestruck that he would do that. If you are struggling with shame and guilt and fear, he's good. And that's what I told my son, my boys. Papa's got cancer, but God is good. God is good. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. Now in chapel, would you please welcome our final story of the learning, Lindsay DeLeo. Lindsay, come on up here. Hi, everybody. My name is Lindsay DeLeo. Uh, we have been, my, we being my husband, he's not here this morning, he's at Lake Travis, but um, we've been at One Chapel since uh, almost the beginning where I could consider us honorary members of the launch team because we came only a few months after. My, my son was actually born um, three days before the first Sunday, so I always know how old One Chapel is because of how old Cohen is. Um, and with the birth of my kids, um, for me, both times, I have a 10-year-old and a five-year-old, um, came severe bouts with postpartum depression. And I don't know how many of you uh, women out there, husbands, of um, moms that have ever gone through it, but um, it's not, uh, it's not the baby blues, it's not sadness, um, it's the depression that Tom Cruise made fun of, um, and I still actually have a deep issue with forgiving him for that. <laughs> I refuse to see his movies to this day, um, might need to work on that. Um, so, <laughs> so, but it's real. It's intense, it's soul robbing. It is not you. It steals every part of your personality. And um, those that know me know that I'm a very outgoing, vibrant person, but not when depression has taken over me. Um, so fast forward to last fall, and I was in one of the happiest seasons of my life. I had been homeschooling my kiddos for two years. I was a stay-at-home mom. I married an amazing, godly man. Um, my parents, uh, who are here this morning, are incredible and um, had gotten remarried after a period of being apart. And um, my dad had struggled with depression before, so I had seen it and I knew that he was encouraging and they would always stand by me. And then it was honestly like I woke up one day and a truck had hit me. I'd been taking my medicine, I'd been exercising, I had been, um, you know, in my faith community, and my husband and I were doing great. And I didn't want to live anymore. I lost all hope. I didn't lose faith. And that was the part that still blows my mind was that I never didn't hear God's voice. 
God was never not in the depression. He was in it with me. And I felt like there were times where he was telling me that he was crying with me and he was hurting with me. Um, so it, this one was the worst one. <laughs> it was long and hard and it hurt. And I just wanted to connect with my kids and I wanted to connect with my husband and I couldn't. I felt like a shell. Um, and I've never attempted to take my life, but I will tell you that it was the closest I ever got. I had the pills in my hand. And my husband, luckily, is patient and amazing and took me somewhere where I could be safe and kind of get through that hump. And um, it was through counseling and friends that I made through that, uh, through my dad's encouragement, my mom's encouragement, who had walked through that blackness and that valley um, together at one point and then to walk through it with me. Um, it was... It was hard, but it was the healing process that God brought for me. Um, I thought postpartum was it, but I have actually since been diagnosed with major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety, and um, still on medication. And I'm still going to see a therapist, which I highly recommend for everyone. Um, <laughs> but my thing that God has shown me and what I want to encourage all of you with is that you may have been diagnosed with something or there may be some label that a doctor or someone, a therapist or your parents or somebody has put on you, but it doesn't mean you're not healed. I may have been diagnosed, but I am healed. God is in me and he has healed me and he has given me my hope back and my plans for future and seeing my kids graduate and get married, all of that is back, and that is healing to me. Not that I will ever be off this medication, not that I will never not have a tough day or see the blackness again, but that he never left me. In those darkest moments at that mental hospital, he was there every night, and I prayed to him every night. God, well, I don't know why you're letting this happen again but I'm going to hold on and we're going to make it through this together. And he did. And I'm back and God has restored me and he can restore anything. And I believe that as a church community and as Christians that we need to accept and not, not put labels on people who are struggling with depression and anxiety and bipolar and schizophrenia because that is not me. I am not depression. I am Lindsay. And I love Jesus and he loves me and he has a plan for me. And it included this, but it's not gonna define me and it doesn't define you. So thank you. We, we just want to say thank you for being brave enough to tell your story today. It was really good, really good. The scripture teaches in Revelation 12, 11, it says, they overcame him, meaning the enemy of their souls. They overcame the enemy of their souls by the blood of the lamb and the word 
of their testimony. The band needs to come. <laughs> Sorry, I just realized they weren't here. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. In other words, they didn't, they didn't imagine their lives belonged to them. They didn't love their lives so much that they weren't willing to lay them down. Here's the powerful thing about these stories and about this scripture is there's something that God does in us when our story intersects with his story. In each story, you, you heard a, a, a moment where there was an intersection, where God said something to them, where their eyes were opened, and whether it was through family or through friends or through another church or, or another moment of, of insight, God intersected his story with their story. Now, here's what I want us to get today, is this, this thing we're talking about is not about our stories. We aren't the center of the story. <laughs> what we're all revolving around is God's story. He's the center of the story. His story is unfolding in the earth. His story is unfolding in this city. His story is unfolding in our neighborhoods and in our homes and in our families. His story is unfolding. He has a desire and a purpose. And when our story then intersects with his, something incredible happens. We're going to sing a song as we come to the table called Overcome. <laughs> I don't know what your story is, but I've been through some, some things, some hard things. And I know that Jesus overcame the grave. Jesus overcame and then makes me an overcomer. <laughs> He's made me an overcomer. And he wants to make each of us an overcomer in whatever, wherever our story is, whatever's going on in our story. He wants to do something. He wants his story to intersect with yours. And so I wonder if you'd be willing to let him today, to maybe even let this be a moment where he comes and speaks to you, where he opens your heart, opens your mind, opens your eyes to see that he is with you, for you. That no matter what you've done or where you've been or what's happened to you, that you don't have to be defined by that history, that his story can redefine you. And he wants to define you as his, his child, his son, his daughter. He wants to give you the spirit of an overcomer today. And so I want us to worship the Lord together by coming to the Lord's table. And I want you to think about this as the bread representing the body of Christ. And the body of Christ was broken on the cross as a way for us to receive healing. The cup represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled on the cross. And it represents the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of everything that is in your history. Maybe you've held Jesus at, a, at arm's length. Today, he wants to come close. <laughs> he, wants to, he wants to pour himself into you. He wants to provide everything that you need today. This table represents that provision. 
would you allow your story to intersect with his story? His story of the cross, his story of resurrection life, his story that is present here among us. We practice what's called open communion at One Chapel. That simply means if you want him to come and work in your life, we want you to come to the table with us. If you're uncomfortable for any reason, please don't feel pressured. Just walk through the line and you can skip taking the, the bread and the cup and just go on back to your seat so that no one has to step over you, okay? We'll begin to your right. Let me pray over us. Father, thank you so much for the story, the story of God unfolding in the earth, the story of his son that came to this earth and gave his life, offered his life, repairing a relationship that you always wanted with people. And even now, we, we sense the Holy Spirit who is here, who you've sent to be your presence on the earth. And we, we want to accept your story. We want to embrace your story. And then we want our story to, to be able to be overtaken by yours. Come with your word. Come with your grace. Come with your forgiveness. Come with your cleansing here in these moments as we worship you we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.